It's Banya82, one day at a time. We are well in the middle of the second round phase now at this stage. Those uh, opportunities for teams to launch themselves towards the semi-finals and other teams to launch themselves towards the plane home. On the show this week, Mick Foley, how are you? I'm good, Rob. Yeah, I'm good. Today's a funny old day, isn't it? Kind of a, a day of missed opportunities for some and weird old team lineups for others. It's a strange day. We're going to lose those great jerseys from the World Cup today, Colin Sheridan. Belgium are heading home. Spoiler alert. Yeah, they are, Rob. I, I have to say that I'm loving the stages that it didn't, uh, the, the way this World Cup was structured. I have to say, I didn't think I would, um, but I am, and I long for something like this to return. I'm not a big fan now of the straight knockout. I want these games that mean a lot, mean nothing, mean everything. Oh, my God. Yeah, we also say goodbye to Austria today. They're playing Northern Ireland. We have a very special guest on. But we also have Kieran, so I really. Have I, to I thought I was getting the big oh. up there. Yeah, I was going. Oh. Hola, Rob. I've loved the fact that you know we've begun with Make channeling his inner Greavesy. It's a, it's a great old start to the show. <laughs> my inner Greavesy. What the hell? What's wrong funny, with my... old, funny old game, sign. Funny old game. Funny old game, isn't it? I think I should. I think I should have an outer Greavesy. Uh, Mick, not to cut it, not to start off on a contentious note, but if I get from your groaning that you don't like the structure of this, you probably lamented this already uh, throughout many of the episodes. But you don't like the structure? No, I do not. I think it leads to too many dead rubbers and and situations like the Belgians, like Gites in the run up to this game. I mean, talk about. I mean, they only lost the game. Keep in mind now, they lost badly to Poland, but it's not. It's kind of over, but it's not over. And yet he's saying. You can practically say we are out of the competition. Okay. I mean, all right, all right, all right. This is, what's all this about in the middle? Of, like, this is the key moment of a World Cup. It should be. Like, this is the equivalent of, like, for Belgium, this is like, it will be a World Cup quarter final now. If, of course, they hadn't lost the second round game against Poland, and yet they're still in it. I don't know. My brain I'm, so, I'm sorry I asked. I'm sorry I asked. So you started it. <laughs> Colin, I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm going to put this in, in context. Like, by now... We, in 1990, we were gorging on penalty shootouts. Yeah, I know. Is that I a good know, thing? But I don't know. Maybe it's the nihilist in me or something. I just like more of stuff and it's a bit novel and I can... There's a lot of head shaking going on in my peripheral vision, so I'm going to stop, but I'm just saying. <laughs> well, look, the good news is, the good news is that when they expand this World Cup to 126 teams or whatever the hell it's going to be the next time around. Which we still won't qualify for. We still won't qualify We still won't get there. We'll still, we'll still lose to Serbia in a playoff um, or whoever. It'll, it's going to be three groups. It's like 16 groups of three or something, so you'll be okay. thrilled. Oh, yeah. Okay. Who teams out of that group, though? There's only one. This is one of the things we need to get get, get around, get people's heads around. These groups of three in the second phase. There was only one team advancing. And obviously, Mick has beautifully explained this in a previous episode. But I think in the next in the World Cup that we speak of, whenever you listen to this, the one that's coming up in 2026, it'll be two out of each group of three. Okay. Can I can I propose that before moving on to a World Cup that has never happened? Yes. Let's we'll deal with the years. World Cup that one happened, the one that happened forty years ago. I, it's just a suggestion. It's all. Okay. Kieran looks like he's going to second that, but we'll just see if he has something else. Uh, to no, add. just, just, just uh, wondered uh, in the exhaustive research that I know the rest of you do, and I kind of don't. Wrecked from a um, wreck. Has an Armenian ever scored the winner at a World Cup before or since? 
I've got a quiz later on, and for and for that little rhetorical question alone, I'm going to screw you to the wall. I can tell you that much. Well, <laughs> Corin Oganesian stand up as he did in this game. Two games to cover. We'll all be back with you in a little while to look at the second game of the day. That is Belgium versus Soviet Union under light at the new camp. Eighty thousand. Well, no, but. Two and a half thousand people at it, but let's get to that later. First up on the day was Austria versus Northern Ireland in the thawing heat. And our special guest for this very special episode is Patrick Keelty. Austria 2, Northern Ireland 2. Another day, another game, another guest. Before we introduce him, we're on to Northern Ireland versus Austria, the forgotten chapters of Northern Ireland's World Cup experience, McFoley. Yeah, these are the games that time forgot. Like, if you ever, and there has been so many of them made, watch a documentary about Northern Ireland at the 1982 World Cup. It ends with Jerry Armstrong scoring a goal, a good old piss-up. You'd probably get a few shots of an open-top bus from the following November around Belfast. And then they'll they'll shoehorn in maybe maybe Billy Hamilton doing like convoy or smoking the bandit celebrations after scoring a goal against Austria, and you might get a shot of a blue French jersey. But essentially, and then we play two more games, and then we came home. And that's it. <laughs> exactly. But like everything to do with Northern Ireland at the '82 World Cup, there are hidden depths, hidden shallows in the team, but hidden depths. And the rest of it's amazing. amazing. Uh, let the man laughing in the background is the well, well known to all of you. Patrick Cutie is joining us. We're absolutely delighted to have him. He just told me he's he's finished a marathon one of seventy three stand up sets, which actually I think is more daunting than rewatching every single game from a World Cup forty years ago. Patrick, I actually think we found someone who's doing something harder. To, to, to be honest with you, lads, it was very much like the Northern Ireland uh, World Cup campaign. People don't really remember the last 10 dates on the tour. They were kind of, they're kind of like the Austria dates, you know, uh, the, the, the Austria Jesus. game. I mean, it's uh, most people just remember the, you know, the first games and, uh, and you know, me scoring a few punchlines and it might have been a bus tour around Belfast in a pistol. <laughs> and, uh, and I always used to finish every set with... Uh, the kind of a convoy celebration. Uh, yes. So, nice. So it's nice. very, very much, very much like what we're doing, you know. Well, at least we know now where it came from. It's some kind of osmosis from '82. There's a, there's a Hamilton somewhere in the background, and I'm sure. Listen, it may well, it may well be like the second round, but I'm sure the people of Strabane felt differently in all other places. Well, I'm sure it was, I'm sure it was a one those last ten days, you know. It's, uh, it, it's very, very weird that 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 whole time period. I mean, but even, even the idea of growing up. In, in Dundrum County Down. I mean, like we played GA, that's all we played. I mean, it got to the point where the people that were taking, you know, the GA team in Dundrum, the idea of even watching soccer, let alone watching Northern Ireland, like it was a, it was a, it was, it was a strange thing. That was the first World Cup that I really remember. And, and at the same time, I knew Northern Ireland were playing, but the society was sort of divided, you know, like, Little village I'm from, Dundrum County Down, population was maybe 500. We had 100 kids in the village. Two primary schools, lads. Two primary schools. Nothing to see here. Completely normal. Yeah. So, you know, we had the, we had the Catholic primary school where you were taught how to be Irish. And then you had the, you know, the Protestant primary school and you were taught how to be British. And uh, whenever your headmaster was... Charlotte Carey, who won two All-Irelands uh, for Down in the 1960s. 
there wasn't a lot of Northern Ireland 1982 bunting up in the Sacred Heart <laughs> Primary School in, uh, in, in Dundrum. <laughs> However, the Downshire Primary School at the other end of the town, that was that was very much flat to the mat with Northern Ireland 82. Like, we're, we're going to immerse ourselves in the glorious football game that's remembered all over the world, uh, Austria 2, Northern Ireland 2, but in a little while. <laughs> but, like, you know, a lot of our listeners are from outside the island. One of the things, we were re-watching an old game between France and the Republic of Ireland and the qualifiers. Brilliant game, Republic of Ireland win 3-2. Obviously, they were robbed later in the qualifiers and didn't get there. But even the French commentators at that point, at some point during the game, they get mixed up into, or they start explaining Ireland du Nord and Ireland du Sud. And like, I mean, whatever about even now, then people couldn't even get their heads around it. On this commentary, it's two Canadian, or there was a Canadian and a Scot trying to talk about the Irish and the luck of the Irish and the green and whatever. I mean, for you, 10 times more than for us, but even for us down south, trying to make sense of even when you're very young. I remember Northern Ireland, when I was really young, trying to make sense of, can I support them? Do I support them? Are they, who are they? <laughs> so I, I can only imagine what it was like. Look, look you know, for, for us growing up, like the Keatleys were originally from Wexford and that's where we spent our summers. And the idea of going down there, uh, you know, the, the excitement of being able to go down there and get your hands a Republic of Ireland soccer jersey was just like the greatest thing in the world that you would actually you'd be able to bring that up like Dundalk pennies in Dundalk just south of the border was the last stop for anything sort of remotely Irish before you crossed the border again and um, and so it was it was that weird thing of I remember I remember one Christmas we asked for Irish soccer jerseys from Santa Claus. And wherever Santa Claus actually put the order in, in the sports shop in Belfast, uh, <laughs> what Santa Claus actually delivered uh, to the Keighley household, these two white uh, Northern Ireland away strips. And we couldn't, we couldn't work out how Santa Claus had actually got it wrong because, because, <laughs> but, but where's the, Where's the, the, the those those aren't those aren't the right ones. Those aren't the ones that Kevin Moran wears. So it was, uh, uh, and there was oh, a no. there was a well. Well, hang on. Let, let's see. Santa Claus might be able to change those. So so it was it was that weird thing of of it 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 sort of was a, a binary society. You were either one thing or the other. The idea that you could maybe be, you know, I think really. Weirdly, that Northern Ireland team was one of the few things that were going on at the time where there was a collective, you know, Protestant, Catholic, Unionist, Nationalist. You know, obviously that was the time before uh, you could, th there was no grandfather rule at that stage, you know. So, you know, what you had is you had Pat Jennings from Newry, you had Martin O'Neill, you had Mal Donaghy. You know, there were quite a few Catholics that were playing for Northern Ireland, Jerry Armstrong. And so, um, so I think it was that World Cup and there was a good news story and there was enthusiasm about it. And, I, you know, I remember as a kid sitting down and, and watching the games, like the politics of what you were living through hadn't really, you know, the, the hammer hadn't fallen and all of that yet. So I think like Northern Ireland was kind of the, Northern Ireland 82 was the sort of last World Cup, which was, well, geez, this is great, isn't it? You know, and then, you know, 86 and, and everything else. And you fast forward to 
to uh, Windsor Park and and uh, the infamous night in November. So there's um, it was sort of a, an innocent time, I suppose. You know, still. Yeah, I was I was wondering. I mean, for you now and and your friends. I mean, you're 11 years old in 1982, right? So like, I mean, you're in as you say, it's a formative World Cup. Like, were you? I mean, c- coming from where you were, you've described it really well there. I mean. Were you able to support Northern Ireland from the beginning? How did you kind of engage with it as the tournament went on? Were you and your friends kind of getting into it, or was it just we just watched the games? Like you, you were just watching the games. I mean, you know, for us, you know, the GAA pitch was across the road. Like we were way more concerned with our, you know, our under twelves taking on Ansborough in the East Down Under Twelve uh, Championship, you know, final that summer than we would have been. You know, with with Northern Ireland, there was nobody, there was nobody telling you not to support them. You know, it wasn't it wasn't like that. Um, and I think that if you look at the TV channels that we had up here, you had BBC Northern Ireland and you had UTV. And so whenever you turned on those TVs, obviously, you know those channels, it was hey, Northern Ireland at the World Cup. There's a good news story. Uh, there was a there was a song that used to get played on the radio up here the the Northern Ireland song uh, when your man gets the ball. Oh. Are you fam- are you, are you familiar with that? Oh, we've been through this. Grimly, gr- oh. grimly familiar oh. with it. Yes. Ike. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> when your man gets the ball, Northern Ireland have it all. We're off to Spain. Never mind the rain. It's, uh, <laughs> Look and, at the lyrics. And, uh, the lyrics rolling over you. It's it's beautiful. What can we rhyme? What can we rhyme with Spain? What can we rhyme with Spain? Even though it's going to be, even though it's going to be a hundred and two degrees when we play that game against the, rain, rain. Never mind the rain. Never mind it. <laughs> it was uh, yeah. Your man gets the ball. Kind of it, it. It sort of makes uh, it makes Ireland's call sort of sound like the White Album, doesn't it? It's uh, it's very much. <laughs> It's, it's happy this is a war culture. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, in terms of that, what I'm lo- looking at, like I'm reading the Belfast Telegraph and the Time and the Newsletter and various other, other uh, Republic of Ireland newspapers and stuff as well. And there is, of course, commentary about how football is bringing the community together, etc., etc. And I mean, we've seen this in Northern Ireland over the years. Obviously, boxing in particular is a fantastic unifying force across the communities, possibly for a different... It's more of a it's more of a class thing, I think. But like, I'm wondering whether that that element is sometimes overstated in Northern Ireland. The ability of sport to unify. Like, for example, from from your personal pers- experience, and again, I'm I'm talking about you and your community, your friends and stuff. Like by 1986, I mean, were you was it the same in '86? I mean, or had you kind of developed a bit of a grow at all for Northern Ireland? You know. Look, uh, I, I, this idea that sport brings people together. Yes, it does. However, the problem with Northern Ireland is is that you had a very large minority of people that didn't believe the country existed. It's kind of, that it's kind of it's kind of a tricky thing that you know yeah. whenever you're sort of it's, trying it's to awkward. bring people awkward. It's, it's, it's Let, let's come awkward. around the fire. What fire? There's yeah. no fire there. <laughs> it's like right. So 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 essentially, the stuff that sort of brought people together, sports-wise, the reason why Barry McGuigan was able to bring the entire of entirety of Northern Ireland together was that the, the words Northern Ireland weren't actually said when it was Bar- you were supporting Barry McGuigan. And so so I think that there was some people that were never going to get on board that Northern Ireland screen in terms of, you know, if that's how they thought 
they were they were never going to change. I mean, I think in terms of a good news story and the fact that these were players that you were seeing every week. So, you know, like you can't forget the the idea that you're actually seeing Sammy McElroy playing for Northern Ireland. Sammy McElroy is the guy that actually oh He's the guy that actually, you know, weaved in and out and made it 2-2 in the 79 Cup Final before Alan Sunderland broke our hearts. And so, so you know, you you have love for Sammy McElroy. The idea that Martin O'Neill went in those European Cups with Nottingham Forest, Pat Jennings, Big Pat. So, weirdly, I think if you were a kid growing up in, uh, you know, nationalist, from a nationalist background, you know, there was a familiarity and a love for the players that were actually part of the team. You know, the idea of what the politics of the bigger thing were, I think that the Belfast Telegraph and the newsletter were always, those were always unionist newspapers. And so that would very much have always been the party line. I think it would be very interesting to see what the Irish news would have been, you know, saying, you know, about about that. I think probably the Irish news might have had the semi-final results of the Ulster Championship uh, from Clonus <laughs> and potentially the I North would... <clears throat> and potentially Northern Ireland I... maybe on, on the inside pages. Other I sports. don't like. I honestly don't know. I... But it, it's a it's a weird thing, you know. So 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 it 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 was that thing. I I I do remember just by osmosis of the TV and all of that on. I remember we sat around as a family. We did watch those games. We supported Northern Ireland. We wanted them to win. Was, you know, the Main Street in Dundrum, you know, covered in Ulster flags? And uh, no, it wasn't. You, you know, so it's it, it it's that thing of it's... Um, it, it definitely brought people together, but the bar to bring people together in Northern Ireland in the early 80s, it, re it really wasn't that high a bar, you know. It really struck me like it was, I think it was the morning, it was either the morning of the Spain game or the day after. You had the, the report of this fantastic result, or else it was a preview of the game coming up, either way. But right beside it, you had another bomb exploding at Belfast and a bunch of nurses coming off their shift who were living in a hostel next door to wherever the bomb went off got, got injured with, with shards of glass flying. That's the, that's, that's the reality. There was, sports can only do so much. Look, life ain't that simple. I also think you have to factor in the fact that football is a working class game. And republicanism and loyalism were working class pursuits. And if you look at the people that came together and the idea of that sort of middle-class rugby crowd, you know, where you can support Ulster and go to Lansdowne Road and all of those things, you know, the the problem with that idea of an All-Ireland soccer team is just those working-class areas is, are where those politics and where the harshness of it are embedded and rooted and therefore the idea of people coming together, the idea of, you know, you're talking about, you know, there was a bomb, you know, the the night after the, the, the Spain game, clearly in the neighborhoods where that bomb was being made, they weren't taking a pause to watch, to watch Jerry Armstrong scoring an amazing goal. And, you know, the performance of Northern Ireland 
in that tournament, you know, it it's still, you know, stuff a sporting legend, I think, in terms of how far they got and, and, and all of those things. So with the passing of time, it's 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 easy to look back on it as sport, but as you say, uh, make the backdrop of it very different. As you look, like, so before we get into the game, you press play on this and you watched a bit, right? Leaving the side, we're going to have fun with it in a second. But, like, what, as you look through that wormhole of time, are, are you going, wow? Or what, what was your first reaction as you just went back there and just looked at it, reminded yourself of that time? For me, going back into that, I, I immediately remember the BBC theme tune. For the for the eighty two World Cup that that, that flamingo ding 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 and and there was also that sort of weird thing at the time that all sports commentaries uh, you know they all sounded like David Vine on Ski Sunday where he was sort of talking through a phone box it's like I'm sorry here we are as as Barry Davis yeah Barry Davis here we are in Madrid who's a lady so. So there was little things like that. Like I, I was immediately transported back to you know that '82 World Cup and the great game between Italy and Brazil. I remember as a kid watching that game and going out into the out into the garden and you know the Palo Rossi and 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 all of that stuff. And so press and play on that Northern Ireland Austria game didn't just bring me back to watching Northern Ireland that completely transported me back to that first World Cup that I remember, you know, the semi-final and, you know, Schumacher and, and all, all, all of, like all of the good and the bad stuff, which made it just such a, you see? Wow. wow. We, we, we have readings we, from the book of Schumacher. Paddy, I have a problem. We have to, we have I, have, I have a problem. <laughs> He's addicted to that book. We can, that's, later on okay, in, in this week, we'll, we'll get him to pick Christmas. a page. That's Christmas yeah. sorted for me there. I'm just going to make a wee note of that. So that's <laughs> five rounds. Especially when you hear our, we, ha, we have a game, Patrick, where you pick any page. In Actually, let's try it now, right? There. We'll interrupt this chat to say pick a number uh, between one and let's say 200. And no matter what page he opens, he's going to have a line that will make you want to read on. Go for it. Pick a number 73. 73. All right. 20. Don't let me done by. <laughs> So we went up to Rudiger's room via the back stairs and were given a detailed explanation of what it was all about, the Cologne Mafia. <laughs> read on. You want to read of on? you read on. <laughs> you want to read on? What the hell is the Cologne Mafia? And what's Tony Schumacher doing hanging out with the Cologne Mafia? <laughs> it's the greatest autobiography of all time. <laughs> Brilliant. Gold. <laughs> what a World Cup. Gold. It is, it is anyway. an amazing World Cup. And look, one of the things, Patrick, you probably uh, tell us more about is, like, uh, we were talking to Matt Cooper. It's the lack of football on the telly at the time, too. So you go from very little football, cup finals, and the odd game here and there, to all of this. And then it turning out to be the French, the Brazilians, the Italians, the Germans, the dastardly Germans in this World Cup. It must have been an incredible kind of exposure to the game all of a sudden. Oh, look, I mean, you know, you had that sort of, you know, the match of the day and then there was the big match. You had, you know, like some sort of highlights of football. The idea of the FA Cup final being this like full long day thing of, you know, you're at the hotel, you're on the bus, they're coming in. Oh, my God. It's like so. So the idea of watching so much domestic football, like I remember 
I vaguely remember watching the 78 World Cup final with Mario Kempis and uh, and that Holland team. And I was sitting down and watching that on a Sunday night with my dad, but not the tournament. The tournament didn't touch the sides. This was the first tournament where I used to get Roy of the Rovers. I used to get Shoot Magazine, right? You know, there was a... There was a shop in the middle of the town called the Wee Shop, which was the newsagents. And just, you know, you had your tins of sweets and your comics. I used to cut up firelighters. My dad had a joinery works and I used to go and sweep up the cuttings in the joinery works and chop them up into firelight bundles, wheel them up in a wheelbarrow and sell them. And basically every every penny I made from that was actually buying comics and different things nice. to actually open up. A 1982 World Cup chart. Oh, sweet Mary, mother of moly, like just the eye, just opening that up and going, wow. And I remember filling it in. Like I remember filling it in and you had these Panini stickers and there was a World Cup Panini album. And the idea of, you know, you knew who those players were because you, you'd, you'd eaten the bubble gum and you'd got, you'd, you'd got the <laughs> stickers before the tournament. And so there were players yeah. that you'd never even seen play and you were going, oh my God, weird stuff. It felt, it felt so exotic. Like the, the idea of a Spanish World Cup being exotic. There was only one family in the whole of Dundrum that I knew that had ever taken a foreign holiday. You know, there was like, <laughs> yeah. the, the, yeah. the, 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 you know, Shea Ward, who used to go to school with us, they went to Italy for the, you know, on their holidays for the first time. They were the only people in the entire village that had got themselves out of Ireland for their holidays. So, so the the notion of Spain, Spain was just this. Uh, um, it was football, Hollywood, glamour, and then now watching it back, and you sort of realise that we made maybe you watch wasn't Austria, as no glamorous. <laughs> <laughs> It's like there's it was 14 people time. there. It was time. <laughs> well, that was the problem. You talk about the holidays. That was part of the problem for Northern Ireland because nobody expects them to get to the second round. So all the lads who went out, there was probably about two or three thousand people you know, with, the, with the core that went out to that World Cup. They're all going home by the Austrian game because, I mean, it wasn't kind of like a Italian ninety down south where there was lads remortgaging their camper vans. Like it, it just, it just went home. So, but, but you can the, hear, the, you can hear the crowd. But, but but the other thing, lads, which is which you may or may not uh, factored in, is that in Northern Ireland, the main Northern Ireland support, the hardcore Northern Ireland support, the further you go into July in a tournament, that very much clashes with having home. with like I mean you you gotta come home here. It's like it's that thing of well, hang on. Northern Ireland might have a run in the World Cup, but Jesus, I got to get home for the 12th. So it's like, <laughs> it's so interesting. Didn't even think of that. You never thought of that. That's the thing. I mean, if if they actually had have gone on and won the World Cup, they that could have it. potentially yeah. had the bus parade combined with the 12th. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. Wow. What, a, what a notion. I mean, for people outside of the island, like, I, I mean, wow. All, all the marches my, in one my place. Yeah, <laughs> my experience of the twelfth is of just just hordes of of Northern Irish Catholics coming south for their holidays at the same time as the Protestant community are having the, having their. That's absolutely it because there was nobody. I mean, the crowd is very small, relatively speaking, now to what you might expect 
for a yeah. second round game in Northern Mick, Ireland. Just tell our listeners and, and Patrick, you've been delving into this. Like Northern Ireland land in the second round. There are some amazing kind of like, even into the players, the squad itself, this was a little bit of a shock to the system and maybe even affected some other plans they had. This is mad stuff. Well, they, plan, they didn't have plans to be they there. They didn't have else. a plan. They didn't, they didn't no affect plan. plans because they had none. Um, I think they had a problem with the hotel. That's what you're driving at, right? Like, Billy Bingham likes a good hotel. The hotel that they were in for the first phase of games is, it's classy now. It's nice. Boom pools, gyms, nice manicure gardens. Like, these guys went out as pasty Ulstermen. Like, they are now, they're like armoires. They're like bronzed mahogany. Billy Hamilton, like, and the pictures on the back of the papers are just covered with, like, Northern Irish players in speedos, and they're just they're they're just all bronzed, you know. I mean, they've, they've, there's a certain level now. Billy Hamilton has turned into George Hamilton from Hollywood. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, <laughs> and like, so there's a certain level now that's expected, but I can't be one hundred percent right. But it doesn't seem like they have a, a hotel fixed. They are sorted out by FIFA and Mundi España, which again we've mentioned before as the absolute car crash of a of a travel firm who are organising the tickets and if you bought a ticket for the World Cup you also had to buy a hotel room it was a disaster so they've put them into a hotel out by the airport I don't think I even need to say anymore they're in a hotel by the airport they yeah, no further questions your witness <laughs> I mean what more yeah, exactly. I mean Bingham says the, the hotel is alright the food is good but the surroundings are dismal he actually hops in a car and goes driving around Madrid until one o'clock in the morning looking for a better place to stay and he finally finds one and he comes back and he says, well, I'll leave that to the IFA to start out now. So the IFA go to FIFA and FIFA say, no, you're not, you're not moving. And the official reason is security reasons, which normally would <laughs> probably means we paid the deposit. We're not getting it back. So yeah, exactly. you're there. Okay, guys, can, can we just stop here? I, the idea Okay, of anybody saying to a team that's come from Northern Ireland that they can't switch hotels in Spain because of security reasons. <laughs> <laughs> like, like you're Talk about the bar being set like. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> chances here based on what we're going back to, you know. <laughs> I mean, how many times yeah, Euro- right. has Europa Hotel been bombed by now? Like, yeah. it's, 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 you know... Like, they, if they do find a place, I, it seems to me, the swimming pool seems to be the problem. Yeah, that's so a big problem. If they can find and, someone and they're happy when they well, find it seems one, to be. which is two miles they away, are. which sounds like a lot, but they seem to <laughs> settle for that. It's in a motel called the Motel Avignon, two miles away. They have access to the pool. That seems to settle them down. It's, uh, you know, what, what, what's, re- what's really weird is the, the Billy Bingham thing. Billy Bingham very much had a, <clears throat> he had a sort of a Jackie Fullerton you know, delivery, you know, and it was that thing of, well, actually, I am from Northern Ireland, but I'm just <laughs> going to make myself slightly more sophisticated. And I mean, the idea that Billy was reared on bottles of Chablis and Aubryon, I mean, like, come on, Billy, like, we all know where you're from. But but the fact that, that Billy had got this taste <laughs> for the good life, like, I, I suppose, in a way, if you think about it, they didn't think they were going to get that far. If you're going to go into bonus time and overtime of fun, you kind of want you kind of want the bonus time to be better than the, you know. It's uh, 
The airport. Oh, dear Lord. Yeah, out by the airport and stuck there. And if you remember, Rob, from an early episode, like we went through the list of do's and do not do's that they went out with. It was pretty rigorous. And to the point that because they were playing at quarter past four in the afternoon against Austria, it was for first afternoon game. They played all the games at night. They changed their eating regime and everything. So, I mean, there was an element of sort of rigor somewhere in the thing. But but if you if you look at that sort of whole idea, you know, like obviously we'll have a few beers and then we lie by the pool and we'll sweat that out of us. You know, what what I love is is the detail that they were going through, you know, they were changing meal times. I mean, were they changing meal times because of kickoff or they just wanted to eat earlier so they could get on the lash earlier? Like it's it's really hard to work out what that's about. And then and then the notion of they were drinking bottled water, but they were still they were still loading it up with the local ice. <laughs> was, I know they're, they're, that's brilliant. That's that's unbelievable. That's the journalists. The journalists are getting grumpy as well. So the journalists are starting to give out now. That's very unlike the media. Such a very relaxed, <laughs> easy-going crew. Even when you're on a trip to the World Cup, lads. So they're giving out that they're getting tummy bugs. Yeah, because they're drinking the bottle of water. They don't. You've they been don't. There, I have. You know I have. have. Hey, listen. I was an ordinary football correspondent for a spell. Let me tell you, it was quite the experience. Yeah. So they're getting hit with the ice. Some of them had their holidays booked. For after Northern Ireland Spain game that down bit, the coast with the family, kind of, now they have to stay in the red. That sent up a red flag for me there on your commitment. <laughs> but like, what you mean, one journalist in the tournament. I know, I know. One journalist, when you're saying doing your job, one journalist uh, was arrested at the Austria game for no apparent reason. They just he thought maybe the police thought that he had insulted them, but he was taken off. He worked for a news line, uh, and he was cart- carted off, and there had to be some negotiations to get him back. I, I, again, the most Northern Ireland thing in the world. Like, you know, ma- man gets arrested and claims he's completely innocent. <laughs> it's like... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, like just, it's basically, let's just take this hotel on the road, basically, is what this workup was. Let's take it to Spain and do it there. <laughs> All right. For the, as we often say in this podcast, usually about like a half an hour in, let's talk about the football, Patrick. Oh, yeah, there was a match, wasn't like, there? Uh, there was there. There's some things that I picked out of this game that show the best of what Northern. I look. Tell me, what did you think? Um, look, the, the, there was there was some the glacial pace of this game. I mean, like like this was the thing. And what I always love is that you know whenever you're dealing with Irish teams, apparently whoever you're playing, the opposition can they don't have a problem with the heat. So that idea, you know, like in the 94 World Cup, you know, when Ireland had to go to Florida, they were playing the Dutch. Like, I mean, they weren't playing the Mexicans, right? Like they were playing another (laughs) Northern European team. But Jesus, the heat we couldn't on, like poor Packy, the heat got to his head and he threw the ball in, right? Like this idea that Northern Ireland are playing Austria. I'm kind of thinking they've got more mountains and cooler temperatures than Northern Ireland, but it was only Northern Ireland had a problem with the, with this hundred degree heat and like we were look the the idea I think there was a there was a you know a shot of of Billy Hamilton and those jerseys at the time were like essentially a hundred and ten percent plastic and asbestos and the fact that you could actually <laughs> the fact that you could actually get one of those shirts at that time soaked with anything that you could see the sweat on the outside like you might as well have been wearing a bin bag but but the sweat was on the outside of the jersey so like granted, it must have been hot. So, so the pace yeah. of play will put down to the heat. Yeah, I mean, you don't stand near an open. You do not stand near an open flame with those jerseys. You're gone. You're just, <laughs> you just be smoke, just be ash. 
honestly, like the night that Santa Claus brought those jerseys down the chimney, you know, like thank, thank, thank Whoa. God the fire, thank God the fire had been out for a long time, you know. <laughs> yeah. Santa was very lax with that whole Christmas. I think it was, it was one of those real bad years for him. Like he was just picking jerseys yeah. from the wrong piles, yeah, risking terrible. fires, terrible, terrible, terrible time. Uh, to Northern Ireland take the lead, make and 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 like Austria, like have lost to France. They have to win here. You see, they, there's questions over whether Austria are really fully up for this, if they're kind of one foot on the plane home. And the reason being, I think, is kind of understandable. They have to win here, and then they need Northern Ireland to go and beat France. So I think at this point in time, I, I'd forgive the Austrians for maybe booking a holiday ahead of the semi-finals. I really would. No they're, they're, they're hooking up with the Northern Ireland journalists seeing, seeing are those tickets transferable. Like there, it's, it's, um, that maybe is the motivation, because there's a, there's a point... Early, early on in the game, where the Austrian keeper just kind of tries to throw it into his own net. Did anybody else oh, yeah. spot this? Yes. Oh, yes. That was oh, weird. <laughs> you're, you're thinking, why has he done that? And then suddenly the explanation that you've given, which is, oh, yeah, well, okay, so they have to beat Northern Ireland, and they have to, so it's, yeah. So that that's, yeah, that was, uh, that, I mean, Schumacher, Schumacher, you would never have caught Schumacher at that. that. That would never have been in the book. No, he would have. He would have got the ball, punctured it, um, then smashed it against the crossbar, and probably brought, probably dragged by the back of the neck an opposing striker up, and WWE just smashed the football. Up. Anyway, come back to Austria for a second, right? Because there is a little bit of context here. On top of the fact that um, there's no context gone on this podcast, they lose. Like they drop five players. Right now, I I don't care how deep the squad is; it ain't deep enough to support five players getting dropped. It was reported. I don't know whether this is. I I I find this hard to believe, but apparently it was at the insistence that the head of the head of the Austrian FA that the five players were dropped. Because at this point, remember, we're only a game gone since they arranged with West Germany to essentially you know get Algeria out of the competition with a with a non match. Okay, so that's following them around, and the Austrians are taking most of the blame for that. Um, Karl Sekinina, the head of the Austrian FA, said Austria are not playing the type of adventurous football that they are capable of, um, particularly from the qualifying games. We must try new faces in a bit to stay in the tournament. So, like, five lads come in, include, and one of the guys who's dropped is, is Hans Krankel, who at the time, like, he was a hero in 78 for Austria, an absolute hero. And he, uh, my memory of Hans Krankel is playing with Rapid Vienna, I think, oh, three years later in a Cup Winners' Cup final against Everton. So he was a name, like, I mean, it wasn't like they were dropping off the fellas that could drop off. But anyway, now now you have players saying we're not going to play for George Schmidt, the, one of the joint managers, as long as he's there anymore. So I mean, the whole vibe to me, it's such a huge opportunity for Northern Ireland. Um, okay, Pat Jennings is injured. That groin that he basically hasn't played for six months after the World Cup. That groin has now come against him. He's not there. Jim Platt, who nearly like who was trying to do a Roy Keane the morning of the Spain game and walk off the squad, is now getting to play in the World Cup. Uh, and you've got Maldani, who, okay, is, is suspended. Sammy Nelson's a good replacement, though. So it's a huge chance, but it doesn't quite work. The more you describe here, Michael, it very much seems to me that there may have already been a chat between the, uh, you know, I was about to say the, the Northern Ireland uh, Federation and Austria, but maybe it was between the French and the Austrians, which was, you know, lads, we kind of think we can take Northern Ireland here. Like any chance you could drop five players, let these buckos through, and uh, yes. and you know, just Jeez. saying. We're through the looking glass here, people. We're in <laughs> yeah. we're in Jim Garrison territory now. 
<laughs> on a ridiculously positive level, we were just saying before uh, before we went on air, Patrick, that like I was trying to list the greatest Northern Ireland footballers ever, right? I came into this tournament knowing Jerry Armstrong as that guy who scored that goal that was in my Italia 90 sticker album as one of the great goals of the World Cup. And I analysed and went, doesn't really look that great a goal. I mean, it, it comes back and he hits it through his legs. But when I saw the context, I understood. And that guy was on Spanish football. I didn't realise that Jerry Armstrong is one of Northern Ireland's greatest ever players. That's what I've decided now, because after watching them in this tournament, he's bloody brilliant. He's absolutely he's a, brilliant. He's an absolute horse of a player. And, you know, that, that idea that, that, you know, there's, there's, always that, there's always that thing where certain players go to the World Cup in a host nation and then someone at the host nation decides we want a bit of him. Like Jerry Armstrong actually then went on to play, I think it was at Real Mallorca, like he, he actually, he, he played football in Spain. So, and so um, was a bit of a hero over there. So, like... I met him a few times. I remember playing in a in a, a charity game once up in Oma, and uh, and, and he was he, he was on thankfully on our team. And I didn't realize how how big he was. Like he he's like properly put together, you know, bit of a tank, mobile, and uh, you know you you stick him on there. Like Billy Hamilton, I think uh, you know he scored twice in the in the Austria game. This is his but, best game in this World Cup. Yeah, I, I I think so. Minor. You know, and and then and then the my favorite line in the commentary was, um, and it's out to sixteen-year-old uh, Norman Whiteside who's just turned seventeen. <laughs> <laughs> Boys are on the ball. They are on yeah. the ball. Yeah. Like, like, li- literally, <laughs> clearly, just checking the notes from before the World Cup because he had, he had his first. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Sixteen. <laughs> damn it, Norman June twenty eight. <laughs> uh, so, so, in terms of a handful, those three, you know, pretty handy. They play. I mean, the Heat. Without wanting to, without wanting to give them, give them too much of a pass on the Heat, it does screw up their their style. Because Bingham, Bingham as a player had to be athletic given the size of him playing in the 50s. And that idea translates into this team. They're physically very strong. I mean, Jerry Armstrong, I mean, played football for Antrim. I mean, Martin O'Neill is a small man, but he's strong. They're all Billy Hamilton, uh, McClellan, Jesus, like they're men mountains. Like, but their game is based on pressing and pushing up and putting guys under pressure. Sounds familiar. They can't do that here. They have to push it around, as the boys say in the comments. They've got to push it around. And they're not overly comfortable at all times doing that that said they get the first goal Billy Hamilton's goal it's basically a flip of the Spanish goal in that Jerry Armstrong is the one who races to the byline pulls it back it's a terrific ha- Billy ha- or Jerry Billy Hamilton yeah Billy Hamilton I'm getting confused with Billy Hamilton and George Hamilton no, no Billy, it's Billy. Uh, <laughs> George Hamilton we goes think. up right towers above John Collins and yeah. just nails but it's a great it's a great header going backwards It's it, he's going backwards and he really gets great power on it and Consigli is a good goalkeeper I know he nearly threw it in but he's shown himself to be a good goalkeeper in this tournament and I mean you're thinking Jesus they've got it's one in it's kind of against the run of play and you're kind of going Jesus this is on it, it. It, it, it's against the, the the run of play, and then I think the the equaliser for Austria was the bad deflection. I mean, like Jim Platt, I don't think I don't think he had any chance, you know, with that one at all. It, so when it's, when I say it was deflection, it was deflected by the Austrian player, so it was like cl- clearly clearly a knock on, but he didn't know too much about it. And it it's at that stage then you're sort of thinking to yourself, they they go one up, so mentally you're thinking, aye aye, 
you know, we, you know, at this point, Billy Bingham <clears throat> is sitting thinking, hmm, maybe there's a, maybe there's a, a complex with a swimming pool that we could maybe, like, so, <laughs> so essentially, basically every goal that scored in this game, like you have a manager on the sideline who's essentially like, he's, he's, he's not even thinking about the opposition. Yeah. He's just trying to work out. Do the Austrians go home? What type of hotel are they staying in? What are they booked? What are they booked? These French are totally different. He's looking at brochures. He's looking at brochures underneath the uh, the level of the dugout going, well, we could go there or maybe there. Oh, Jesus. What are you you looking at? Is it... It's, you know, it's it's just an idea of you know the these days you see the managers you know with the you know with the iPads and you yeah. know the, they're they're essentially like showing formations and just the idea of Billy Bingham there with the other guys going this looks quite good it's self catering but the pool's twenty meters. <laughs> That's cool. That's been a totally so different, totally different shape. I'm gonna go. I'm actually gonna rewatch the game with that in mind now. Billy's just going up and down the levels of the hotels through the game as the goals are going in. Hintermeyer gets gets Austria ahead then. At this stage, it's all falling apart from Northern Ireland, and it looks like they are doing it. Is, it is. Uh, Jim Platt does his best Alan Ruff impression. Uh, the Scottish mm, keeper, Alan Ruff, for, you know. Good you, reference. You know, the, the Ruff had this amazing. So, so sometimes, like, uh, you know, obviously, like, I was, a, I was a goalkeeper, a GA goalkeeper, and I played in a few of those charity games at, uh, at Old Trafford and different things. And, and so there's kind of two schools of goalkeeping. The first school of goalkeeping is that, you know, you try your best to dive and you look sort of fairly pathetic, and that sort of makes the, the, the goal look worse. The Alan Ruff style of goalkeeping was if it was going into the top corner, he just didn't move. And and if you don't move, that's sort of letting anybody watching it going, Jesus, that was a bullet. He did he didn't stand a chance. There was no right? And so so the Rooted the, to the spot. Root, rooted <laughs> to the spot, which which is essentially the goalkeeper's statement of going, lads, nobody could even I couldn't even think of diving that. Even if I had a there was no point. So, so Jim Platt basically challenged, uh, challenged Alan Ruff for the uh, for the Austria two 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 one up, and uh, you know, meanwhile Pat Jennings kind of sitting on the bench looking at hotels with Billy Bingham going, even with a full groin, I think I still might have died for that one, Jim. <laughs> the goal, the Hint- like Hintermeyer, by the way, uh, Hintermeyer, Hintermeyer was one of the guys who was dropped, and one of the guys who took the would have been blamed, and if you know. If you're unfortunate enough, and you no, no one will ever, sorry, no, no one will ever watch the West Germany Austria game back like we did. But he's, I'm blaming him for that entire thing. So I, I, I he also scored a goal in the German, he scored a goal in the German Cup final that summer. That was a bullet as well. So he had a bit of a, he had a bit of a peg on him, all right. But it's roll to the side. It's good because the the, the feed that we watched it on is the Canadian feed, right? And they have terrible sound problems. So by the time, by the time they, they scored a goal, it's Stanley Matthews is describing the goal. Which in and of itself is kind of mad. You realise how long ago this was. <laughs> like Stanley Matches, no, to be fair, had probably only retired about six months at this stage. But the, you're saying there about him having an amazing peg on him. Watch it again from behind the goals, because Northern Ireland, there a wall may well have been set up at some point before he actually went to hit this. By the time he actually hit the ball. Like, the Northern Ireland box basically looked like the first 20 minutes of saving Private Ryan. I mean, like, people were just, <laughs> like, 
Like it was just like it was like just people trying to get off a beach. Like like yeah. there was no level of defence there whatsoever. No, so I mean, if the wall had stayed still, may, I mean, maybe I don't know. It was like one of those photographs, you know, where everyone says, "Come on, everyone, in for the photograph." And just before he takes the photograph, everyone goes, "Right, that was a good photo. Let's get out of here." <laughs> they got out before it even started. So not over yet. All right. I, I well, actually think I, I, I think if you take a screenshot as the ball hits the back of the net. The Northern Ireland defence in the box are pretty much in the same positions as they are in the swimming pool, right? And around the pool (laughs) on the second day of the Spain celebrations. You're right. What we didn't realise at the time was that swimming pool shot was actually a tableau vivant looking ahead (laughs) to what they were going to do when defending the national free kick. Hey, uh, come here. The the, the, the equaliser is some goal. Oh, man. Like, Jimmy Nicol. What a cross. What a header. What a celebration. Yeah, I yeah, I mean, Jimmy you see, at, at, at that, I mean, Jimmy Nickel for me, so you had Sammy McElroy and Jimmy Nickel, who were, you know, the, the, the big Man United, they were the big heroes uh, if you were a kid supporting Man United uh, at that time. And, you know, he gets forward, but but mentally, again, they're 2-1 they're down, so you're sort of thinking at this stage, everybody's thinking, okay, so we're all going to go on holiday and everybody's going to get back for the 12th. And, you know, and then Jimmy Nickel goes, hang on, just a <laughs> doggone minute. And so he, he, then, he then skips the byline and he puts that cross in. And there's just this moment where, where Billy Hamilton kind of looks like he's about to go down on a prayer mat, Right. And like he's got the hand, like he's got his hand, and like I'm just thinking, he has so much time to go. Am I going to? Do we really need to score this? Are we going home? Should I? You know, and and that that header, weirdly, that's the goal that I remember more from from that Northern Ireland campaign, even more so than even more so than the the the, the Jerry Armstrong goal that. That goal was sort of played over and over again just because it, he had so much time to do what he wanted to do with it. Billy Hamilton had only one other thing, I think, that could trump scoring two goals against Austria. And again, I go back to our Canadian friends. This, How this could to be entered? I don't, know, I don't know Did you catch this one, lads. But So there, as I said before, they're having terrible sound problems. So at this stage, it's Stanley and Ernie back in the studio. Ernie now, at, by this stage, is affecting the kind of tone. If anybody remembers the movie Best in Show... And Fred Willard doing the commentary on the dog show. Ernie's at that stage now. You know, it's it's Bobby pushing a lad, Stanley. It, it's it's gone. He's he's he doesn't know is it ice hockey or soccer. He's watching God bless him. And, but Stanley, at one point, Billy Hamilton pushes the ball from his right foot to his left foot and back to back again the other way, successfully completing a pretty standard piece of football control. And Ernie turns to Stan and goes. Reminds me of you, Stanley. And there is a pause while everybody on the planet goes, has he just compared Billy Hamilton to Stanley Matthews? And, and Stanley, Stanley goes, well, thank you very much. And it was such a lovely, it was so, so gracious. And I'm thinking to myself, Billy Hamilton has never seen the Canadian feed. So he has no got way. his whole life not knowing that he was compared to Stanley Matthews in Stanley Matthews' presence. And Stanley Matthews went, thank you very much. You know, we, we need to get that information to him. I, I think that is, that's the type of stuff you dine out on. We could talk forever, but we can't. But, but Patrick, like as we wrap this up, I'll tell you this, Patrick, just to look ahead for our listeners, right? About 10, 15 minutes into the France game, I know this because I've looked ahead. I think it's Norman Whiteside, Martin O'Neill and Jerry Armstrong do a move that gets a goal yeah. 
there is no more offside if there was VAR to put them 1-0 up against the French. And at that point, Northern Ireland are like there for winning the World Cup. I'm just throwing it out there. Look, now I've managed to put the pieces together here yes. from yeah. Columbo's. The fact that the Austrians dropped five players, right? Suddenly Northern Ireland get through. Suddenly they're playing the French. Suddenly uh, O'Neill clearly a yard and a half onside. That would have went 1-0 up. By Iota. You see? By Iota. You see? I wonder where it's going. Like, were they booking like, hotels for the 86 World Cup? And did, did they do a deal with FIFA to say, look, we'll skip the semi finals if you get us a good swimming pool for 86? <laughs> look, if Martin O'Neill's goal had been allowed, Northern Ireland would have went on to win the World Cup. There would have been a yes, joint fact. celebration, right? Fact. You know, with the 12th of July, Billy, Billy, <laughs> Billy Bingham. And Billy Bingham and George Hamilton would have been on the top of the bus. They'd have been singing, when your man gets the ball. <laughs> Look, we, like, let's be clear. I, I, I think we, everybody, everybody dodged one there, I think. Uh, Paddy, I'm not, I, I'm not so sure you would have got Billy out of the nice hotel if they'd won the World Cup. I'd say he'd be, he'd be phoning it in from the five, whatever five-star hotel was in Madrid. But, like, they really believed. Honest to God. I mean, it's, it's worth saying it now. Before this, this mad group phase that, as we've discussed previously, we're going to see this group phase come back in World Cups in the future now, apparently. Three teams in a group. Like this group when they saw they were in Austria and France, they really thought they had a chance. Because we've got to keep in mind that France were not rated in this World Cup until around now. The teams that were really rated were West Germany and Spain from Europe. And Northern Ireland had beaten Spain. So suddenly it's like, well, Austria, okay. France had beaten them 4-0 that spring. But that seemed to kind of be, you know, that was a friendly. So that'll be fine. We've got a chance. Drawing against Austria in these circumstances, I still think it was, that was the moment maybe where the World Cup got away from them, not, not the next game. It could have been, and you know what? Again, on form, it, it would have been expected that England would make the semi-final. It could have been Northern Ireland and England in the World Cup semi-final. That's... If you think of it this way, that... If Martin O'Neill had scored that goal and Northern Ireland had beat France, that would have meant that it would have been Jerry Armstrong going in on Schumacher in the semi-final. I think we kind of know whose jaw might have ended up being broken and whose jaw mightn't if that had gone the other way. And then, and this is like this is like one of those Back to the Future moments. Oh then God. Mick would have never found that book in that skip. And then, who knows what would have happened? Maybe we wouldn't even be making a podcast. Oh, that would be actually a good thing. Patrick Keely, thank you so much for joining us. You, uh, you have been a legend. And there's a movie coming out in the new year. I've been told. You didn't even say. You said, "Don't be plugging things," but still, we're excited. Ah, uh, look, there's a yeah, there's a movie. Bally Walter, myself, and Shauna Kerslake have uh, yes. have shot a movie. It's it's coming out in in the new year, and uh, uh, all all very exciting. That was a lot of fun, Mick. Yeah, ah, yeah, yeah, it was. It was. I think I don't think I'll ever shake the image of Billy Bingham browsing through brochures in the dugout with Pat Jennings looking over his shoulders as the goals go in. So many side hustles, guys. You just keep going off and having fun on your own. What's uh, this yeah, about? Sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry, both of you missed that, Colin. You were you were absent as well. I don't know what's going on. Yeah, you yeah, yeah I mean, Kieran, uh, I might sidebar you on this later on. Um, yeah, I think text. we need to have a chat, Carl. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it's time. For, it's time for a, another spin-off podcast. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Just, just the Colin and Kieran spin-off yeah. podcast because we're getting side hustle. C and C, you know. That's C okay. and C. Yeah, you got to talk about Belgium and Soviet Union. If any game in 1982 has lived long in the memory, it's not this one. Oh my God, it's bad. 
Belgium nil, Soviet Union one. Mick, you, you go first. Tell people. Oh, thanks, Con- thanks. Contextualize Cheers. this for uh, us. Contextualize. Like, yeah, it, you know what? It is. And what's, I think what, what brings it down even more is that you, you just, when you just, after about 15, 20 minutes of watching it and your, your heart is sinking down into your boots at the slow pace and the lack of atmosphere, there's 35,000 people in the new camp when the new camp could hold whatever, like 250,000 or something stupid. But like the, uh, what really gets, what really got to me was this is the Belgian team that beat Argentina first day out, you know, and they've come along, they've got through to the second phase quite competently. Then they fall apart against Poland and uh, like they're completely gone. Like they're now on their third goalkeeper. You know, Jean-Marie Pfaff, as we mentioned in a previous episode, is basically out of the picture now. Uh, they put in uh, their second choice goalkeeper, Thierry Custers, for the previous match. Three goals gone in. And now they're gone to Jackie Mooneron, who was the Anderlecht keeper. So a decent, a decent player. It's his, it's his first game for Belgium. Uh, they're talking about getting the plane home. The, the flights are already booked. And then on the Soviet side, which is even more disappointing because they were so good mm. in the group stages. And we really did. And you can see even at the time, people were going, oh, these are the dark horses. Like they were such dark horses. Everyone was looking at them. So they weren't that dark, you know. Um, everyone was waiting for them to do something in this game. But I don't know what happened. Whether it's, the t- it's a 10-day break from the Scotland game and the groups to this um, it's more or less the same team. Organisian comes in, as Kieran mentioned earlier earlier on. This there. is as strong a team as they can put out. And it is. It is. There's no reason here why they shouldn't be doing much better. I mean, this is only significant for the quality of Organisian's goal, for Gavrilov's cross and the acrobatic finish. A lovely kind of a, cro- a cross and a kind of a side volley, scissorsy kind of thing flies into the net. It's a lovely goal. That save makes a very, very good save from a Belgian free kick later on. The first half, nothing, nothing happens. Like Shengelia, God bless him. Like we've loved Shengelia, but also you got to put your head in your hands. He, he butchers another chance, practically an open goal in the first half. But I mean, they get to half time and there's just jeers and whistles and boos. And like, it really is. I mean, you know, I don't want to labour the point now anymore, but like th- this is the game that really, it really got me thinking, how many good games have we actually seen now? Are we getting to the point in Colin, the second phase? Colin, I just Colin sort of slapped slap there. I just saw a slap of the Florida there. Yeah, that, that's, you know, that's as demonstrative as you can be. I'm not saying we haven't seen some terrific moments and great okay. games, but I'm saying, are we reaching a tipping point in the tournament where we're beginning to see the reality of the 82 tournament or is it going to pull itself back out again? Because this is awesome. <sighs> Jesus. Oh. This is. Are you saying, Mick, that this is the never meet your World Cup, never meet your heroes of World Cups? Well, are you saying starting- that this entire podcast was was a terrible idea? Really, really like seventeen years <laughs> in. There's nothing like that deep feeling of futility. Oh, I get that every morning. Oh <laughs> my god! But no, it's more just. I'm not. Look, hopefully, and I'd, I'd be optimistic enough to say there was something. That'll, pull us out of this in the end of it all but like it's just if you listed off the games which I haven't done I, I, I must it's an exercise I'm going to do at the end of this fa- phase in the second phase in particular I think you were right Mick about the, the quality of some of the games definitely don't match the narratives or the stories of an awful lot of the teams and this one was one that yeah it was pretty demoralising I mean, if nobody is ever going to go back and watch this game, not even the Russian goal scorer. And even if he does, like the only things noteworthy for me were unbelievable rendition of the Russian national anthem, you know, just very 
TV worthy. Um, I think there might have been some. It's the editing as well, and that when you're watching the game, and uh, and you guys know better about the camera angles and all the rest of it. But sometimes you're you're watching this game, and you think it was a chance. You think a chance was close, like a di- diving header from <laughs> yeah. a Belgian. And then when you see the replay from behind the goal, you realize it was like 14 meters wide. And you're like, why did I get excited about that? Listen, I think every World Cup, every tournament goes through these maybe stodgy phases. Obviously, this was structured to have one big stodgy phase right in the middle. You're, you're suggesting this is the phase you want to yeah, retain I'm in the gonna, future. I, I'm, I'm, walk, I, I, I'm walking back. I'm walk, maybe no, I'm, I'm in Cullen's defense, because I feel like you're, 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 turning, you're turning a good point. He's just saying it, it's novel. It's different. I feel I, feel I agree with you, Colin. It As a one-off we're not suggesting that this should be brought back but it's kind of well it's it's certainly like i I was aware of it when we began the return to this world cup i was aware but wasn't fully sure of the the uh minutiae of what the setup was as regards the phases and i am enjoying learning about it watching it and understanding it this game is i guess the counterpoint to all of that um there may be others uh, but yeah i get how a game like this as you say mick Belgians are literally on their way home and Russia nearly play like they want to be at home at times. It's a very tough, tough watch. And there's a few reasons for that. I think I think the new camp, half empty, third empty new camp is a big reason for that as well. I'm still not down on this as much as, as you are, Mick. Um, and I'm Fair certainly enough. not down on the whole idea. Maybe because we know the broader landscape of everything and we know a little bit of what's coming. And I, and I still maybe kind of stick to that point that maybe because some of the bigger stories that have already come and some that are coming, like the likes of the Algerian story or the Algerian Salvador story or those types of stories are what's carrying this a little bit more for me at the moment and I'm just waiting for the genius teams to to emerge but this game listen would encourage you never to have children and to end like th- that everybody everything stops now you know with football there's always a happy medium Col- Colin likes the <laughs> Colin format highlighting happy mediums there yeah, Col- never Colin, have children Col- or it's an amazing game Colin yeah. <laughs> is ending civilization as a result yeah. of this game yeah but, but there's a happy medium we'll, we'll Colin you can contact our good friend Gianni in Switzerland yeah and you can suggest that they they reintroduce this format in the Confederations Cup yeah that said, at the end of the day, Soviet Union have won here. They're entitled to it. There's a 10-day gap there, Mick. They've got the job done. Yeah, commentators say at the end, ooh, they won't be happy with this. Why? Because they now have to beat Poland. Isn't that right? Yeah, yeah. Which is, you know, I mean, it would have been, given given the state of the Belgians with their third goalkeeper in there and the flights booked and the whole thing kind of falling apart on them, I'm sure the Soviets would have liked to have stuck in maybe another goal just to give themselves that bit, just a bit of a bounce. But instead, they just got mired in this midfield swamp where nothing happened. And now they have a few days to get their heads together, kind of figure out what the hell went wrong there and play in one of the most politically charged games of the entire tournament against Poland. And And on top of that, against a Polish team that are on paper and on form now, uh, going much, much better and a much, much better proposition than the Soviets are. So, I mean, suddenly, now it's not just... And in this game, it will not just be about winning. You know, they cannot they cannot allow themselves to lose in a manner that will, uh, how would you put it, besmirch the nation, if you like. You know, this is an enormous game for the Soviet Union. Enormous game for Poland now as well. And it's bye-bye, Belgium. Opening day heroes, Kieran. Opening day heroes, super kit. I mean, oh, lovely kit. Yeah. super kit. Uh, the most overbranded international jersey of all time. 
<laughs> all right, that's uh, that's our games for today. Done and dusted. Yeah, that's all we're saying about that. We have to pick a team of the day, but oh we, my God. we do, do have some. I think Mick, you were like, uh, you know, I have a proposal to put in a bit of a quiz here before you finish today's episode. Yes, I I wanted to do a quiz because because USSR and Belgium made me lose the will to live. And even in that context, I went, you know, it should be an 82 link. But then I went, no, it doesn't have to be an 82 link. I'm, I'm tired. I'm tired of USSR and Belgium. So I've rewound 41 years, come forward a year, and I'm coming back forward 40 years again. Because if I stay back in 1982, I'll be six and we won't be able to do the quiz. So we're doing the Escape to Victory quiz. Oh, oh Yes. Here's another set of talents that the lads don't really have. They knew that this quiz was coming up. So what you just heard there was was rehearsed improvisation, right? I didn't and I do tell this I tell I this to, Did you not? No. I tell this to people because I expect that they were up all last night watching a movie. Oh. They were Googling articles, oh. everything. And if you weren't Shame on you. I, just to put some context on this, right? So, Escape to Victory came out in 1981. Sylvester Stallone, Mick Cain, a host of Ipswich Town players. It's Allied War, POWs, World War II, playing a German team, and it's all that. Max van Sydow. Let's be honest, the greatest war movie of all time. It is, without a oh, shadow amazing. of a doubt. Without a shadow of a doubt. What I'm, Spielberg could have learned for Saving Private Ryan from this masterpiece? Absolutely. I mean a chance a sh- a ch- an opportunity missed I mean I looked at the 1982 Oscars just to see how much of an injustice was was perpetrated upon Escape to Victory that they did not gather I mean the best picture in 1982 was Chariots of Fire ah. joke joke best actor Henry Fonda for On Golden Pond I can feel myself ageing just saying it best actress Catherine Hepburn waste of space best director Warren Beatty Reds come on on like and I mean here's the one that gets me the most right Raiders of the Lost Ark won the most the highest number of, of Oscars in 1982 mostly for technical stuff right you know for best sound effects best, uh, best editing and all that I'll tell you this much none of the lads who worked on the technical side of Raiders of the Lost Ark had to teach Mick Kane to play football let me tell you that <laughs> lads there's nothing as demoralising as sports Kane let me tell you I've seen a lot of McCain movies. It's nothing as tomorrow. <laughs> Indeed, you have. Uh, I mean, how for those did... who haven't discovered discovered Michael's uh, Michael Kane podcast, The Mark of Kane, check it out. Nicely Don't done, go Nick. Nicely Don't done. Go looking. Yeah. Don't go looking. It ain't work. Anyway, how. Kane didn't win Best Actor in a right-back role. I don't know. Clearly, John Wark didn't win it. Okay, let's go. Okay, good news, guys, is that I've done most of these as multiple choice, all right? So it's not Yay. too bad. All right, anyway. So, as I said, it was a stellar cast of footballers, okay, on the Allied team, okay, in this game. But I'm asking you, who actually played in the 82 World Cup that also appeared in Escape to Victory? Ozzy Ardiles. That's one. Uh, more. John Wark. Yes, I'm going to stop you there. Just two. John Wark and Ozzy Ardiles. John Wark and Ozzy. But what your what your listeners won't know, Rob, is that I raised my hand for the two of those like courteous like quiz. I, you know, and when, and where did that lose the manners, Colin? Lose the manners. Okay. Okay. All right, I know Colin, the rules. Colin, I saw, I saw I that. Okay. So Does I'm giving a you point? a point anyway. Okay, <laughs> I saw that. Okay, number two. Question two. Happened. Question two. Okay, Escape to Victory, believe it or not, was not an original idea. Can you believe that? Is that stunning? What was the name of the Hungarian film from 1962 that it was based on? Now, here's multiple choice, okay? Two halves in hell. Like that. Two. Like Operation that. Goal. 
our three death match. It two sh- halves in hell, Operation Goal or death match. It, it, it was Operation Goal, but it should have been either of the other two. Yeah. I think it was two halves in hell. Kieran O'Hara, step forward, yeah. my friend, and collect That's, your uh, point. Well which done. Actually, um, I think... Which is open on your screen now. No. <laughs> <laughs> Allow me, just give me a second. Allow me just to give me a second to read here. Um, <laughs> that was actually based on, was, was there a myth around a Dynamo Kiev team or something? And it turned out to be discredited afterwards or something well, like that. It was something like, I, I'm not going to go into detail, but essentially I think there was a, well, there was another movie as well made around that Kiev story, which was that they, they, they pulled together a bunch of uh, Ukrainian prisoners of war uh, who played a number of games against German teams at the time. Four of the team were killed. Um, but anyway, I, I don't want to go too far into that because I don't know the full story. But Which piece of memorabilia from the Escape to Victory set did Russell Osmond come away with? Did he come away with, number one, Mick Kane's daily lunch menu? Because, you know, I've got to have a few choices, boys. Number two, Pele's boots. Or number three, director John Houston's chair. All right, just uh, Mick, can I can I come in here and be like organizing fun here? I think we all should give an answer before you tell us which the right one is and you get a point if you get the right one. Fair yeah, enough. nice. But we'd all go for Pele's boots, wouldn't we? No, it's up to you guys. Director's chair. Director's chair. If I was Russell Osman and I'd grown up reading Billy's boots, I'd be after Pele's. Okay, Rob, what's your call? Well, that means obviously Pele the, the the best one to have gone for, but I'd say he just got the director's chair. Okay, Colin, what do you reckon? I mean, I'm an out of the box outside the box thinker I'm going to go for the lunch menu you know I, I personally I would have gone for the lunch menu can mm. you imagine the spatters on that yeah. no it was the director's chair Rob. yes well, well done he got John Houston's director's chair mind you you know John Houston is one of the all time great directors so what the hell would maybe, you do maybe Russell Osman is the cinephile is he the Pele of directing oh yeah yeah it wouldn't be far off ah, not so sure that much now but he'd be definitely maybe, maybe the boots weren't an option like if, if he'd had the same options, maybe no, if he had multiple choice, you can take the director's chair, the menu, or Pele's boots. He'd uh, take Pele's boots, but probably the most accessible was the director's chair. Can I just say that? Look, obviously, I made up the other answers. No, I don't know that anybody actually come away with Pele's. Just before you get too deep into how might they have got Pele's boots, who got the lunch menu? I'm making it up. Um, right, question four. Okay, Sylvester Stallone is in the film. And at the time, Stallone spent a lot of time by himself. He basically stayed in his caravan and only came out when he had to shoot scenes. That was it. They didn't really see much of him. Now, why? McCain went to his caravan one day and went, Sylvester, what's going on? Come on out of the boys. And he found him working on a script for a movie. Now, what movie was Stallone working on? Was he working on? Rocky Three, Rambo, or Rhinestone? Kieran, I'm trying to think of the solitude he's placed himself in. I he's, think yeah. I think he's going all method, and he's coming up with John Rambo in there. Okay, Rob, can I go with the same answer? We love that. Share you the can do whatever Rambo. you like. Yeah, Rambo. Okay, with, with Colin, Jeff. you got a choice of Rocky Three, Rambo, or Rhinestone. Um, I'm gonna go Rhinestone, lads. Rocky 3. Oh. He wrote Rocky 3 on the set of Escape to Victory. No points for anybody. Oh, dear, wow. what a shame. Okay, we've got a couple more. I've just got two more questions, okay? And I do have a tiebreaker question if I need it, okay? So, question five, very simple. Where was Escape to Victory filmed? Was it France, Hungary, or Spain? Colin. Uh, it was filmed in, I'm going to say, for, uh, France. France. Rob? I remember the ground. Hard. It was so scrappy. It's but it's like one of those 
municipal grounds that they have all over France. Feel like it's France, but then the weather. Come on. Spain. Okay. Kieran. Was it filmed in Hungary and France? Because I found the stat clock very convincing. Of God. That's not the question. Pick one. Yeah. Pick one. The stadium's really convincing. He's really trying. trying. And I'm glad you tried, Kieran, because that's the right answer. Well done. Well done. Okay, last question, guys. At the moment, Colin, you're on one. Uh, Kieran, you got three. Rob, you've got two. If I had put more thought into this, I would have kind of made the last question like a double score. You give... put it, make it a double score. Maybe make I will make score. it a double score. So two points for this Yay. one, all right? Okay. How many bones did Kevin O'Callaghan break in his arm? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Pele's character name. Okay. Is it João Scorio, Lucas Colombo, or Luis Fernandez? No, boys. I'm going to give you a second because, Kieran, can I just say before we go any further, you, I, we don't have visual on this. Kieran is really trying. I think he's, he's, I think he's, he's actually might be sweating. Uh, if, Rob, if, if I lost this, I'd be devastated. Like, this this is the greatest war movie of all time. <laughs> Rob, João Scorio, I love that name, Lucas Colombo or Luis Fernandez? João Scorio. João Scorio. Okay. Colin? Uh, Luis Fernandez. Okay. Kieran? I'm going with the same as Colin. I think it was Luis Fernandez. Guys, you were absolutely right. Well done. Well done. Luis Fernandez. It was Luis Fernandez. So play, second place finish. I lost I, Can I, we I, turn this on. back? Can we turn this back on Mick? Go back to third. I think we should uh, turn this back on Mick and just Do you want to hear about oh, by the way, well you can if you like, but before I finish, I do want to give you my tiebreak question because it is kind of tied into the matches today. Can I give go you my tiebreak question? All right. Yeah, go on. Okay. As Kieran mentioned earlier on. Uh, the points. Belgian jersey has the most number of logos you've ever ever seen on any jersey ever does anyone want to give a guess at how many Admiral logos were on the front of the Belgian jersey at the 1982 World Cup that's like counting sweets in a jar it isn't is it? it is but I've counted 70, them 75 just a jersey 75 just a jersey that's, the front, that's the what front. goes on on Mick's t-shirt but I've counted them right, <laughs> I've counted 16 them. 16, 16 says Rob here on oh 24. Colin. I'm just going to land it in the middle here. 20. Lads, Kieran, you're on fire by 25. Ah. 25. And you know why I said 24? I thought it was like one for every country in the World Cup. Oh, nice. That would have been a lovely nice. idea. They had 12 down one side, 12 down the other side, and then the big Admiral logo in the corner. The other, there we go. Bring it back. That's go. me done. That's me done. All right, I, I think, no, hang on. We've got to turn some of this back on Mick. So. It's not fair. I put a lot of effort into this, and now you're punishing me for it. It's not uh, right. Name of Bobby Moore's character. Oh, Jesus. Um, oh, Terry. <laughs> Terry. Yeah. Terry. For, for Terry should be enough. Terry, from, ter- Terry for, should be from Cavan. Terry Bailey, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Terry Virginia. That'd be a great name. Yeah. No, no, Terry. I know his first name is Terry. Yeah. Terry Brady. Terry Brady. Terry Brady, yeah. yeah. We're eventually doing yes. Escape to Victory yeah, one day at a time, whole- aren't we? This has been discussed on every series. We've got yeah. to do it eventually. The whole thing is building towards that. It be the <laughs> no question. Glory. Like 10 minutes at a time. That's mm. the only way. All right. Team of the day. And we're out of here. Team of the day. All right. Oh, it's, most of it's coming from Northern Ireland, Austria, to be honest, because we had most fun watching that game. I'm yeah. very sure we're going for the fifth time in this tournament for the same goalkeeper. Oh, yeah. Colin, who we got? <laughs> Come on, Colin. He, he, was he, plays, for, he plays for the USSR. He, that's right. Oh God, it's a real build-up to this. And he, Drum roll. he's uh, yeah, a father, a brother, 
uh, a son. A lover. Uh, a fighter. This is the senior moment and a half. I don't have the I don't have the luxury of you like uh, of you guys I have multiple screens right now. I'm just going purely from from gut and memory, and I just death I have without question. Another big game, Another five game. in a row. Yeah, well, is it five in a row? It's four at this stage. It's very close to it. We're in day our, We do a back three, Rob. Back three, yeah, because I just have lots of midfielders I want to put in, so that's no, okay. fine. Fair enough. Uh, I, I run across from the Soviet. Uh, I will put Shevadze, who's had a good... I mean, some of these are for kind of, you know, services rendered throughout the tournament now. So Shevadze, <laughs> I would say, in the middle. I, like I thought Bruno Petsy played well for Austria. Um, he scored a goal. And Jimmy Nickel again, Rob, wasn't he? He was... Terrific. Brilliant. That cross for that goal. Yes. Yeah. Jimmy Nickel. Terrific. Petsy's in as well. I like that. All right, midfield. I, I want to put Sammy McElroy in there because I just felt he had a great game. Check. Uh, Jerry Armstrong Jerry Armstrong oh, is going to be in the Amazing. team of the tournament when he's we sensational well we, we were looking at Herbert Prohaska played well so we put him in there Prohaska did get a draw out of this one even though they were heading home yeah he's in I, I think. think I think we have to have Hintermeyer even though he's a bit of a villain for the way he completely stopped playing against West Germany and he was dropped for this match but he comes in scores a goal and the Austrians really take over the minute he comes on in midfield so I think he has to go in Fair enough. Reformed no character there. that he is. Uh, can I venture? And again, this is as much service as rendered, but uh, David McCreary, the yeah. old Tulsa Roughnecks, had a serious tournament. In fact, on this team now, you have two North American soccer league stars. You've got Jimmy Nickel from Toronto and you've got Dave McCreary from Tulsa. God, go. the glory days of the NASL. Oh, so, yeah. Delve deep into Northern Ireland's talents in that league. Anything else uh, from uh, the Soviets before we get to the forwards? Who's up front? Billy Hamilton, obviously. Gotta be. Billy, who obviously. lost about two stone in weight in this match. I mean, Billy's <laughs> half the man he was. Did, did Billy market like Espanya 82 diets afterwards? I wonder. <laughs> <you know? laughs> like, do, the slim fast plan with Billy Hamilton just play for an hour and a half in sweltering Agnes, Spanish heat. Yeah. Agnesian, I would imagine. Our, our oh, favourite okay. footballing Armenian. Still in midfield, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. yeah. And anyone right. else up front? Or is Agnesian going up front? Is that what you're saying? I, th- I think you've got 11 there, Rob. We have 11, yeah. That'll yeah. do. Job done. It could well be a 3 6 1 formation, but yeah. Let them know, Rob. Send them all the messages to let them know they were on the team of the day. Yep. Yeah, they each get a T-shirt. Yeah. Um, whoa, 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 whoa! Disclaimers. Don't be, don't be promising people anything. <laughs> <laughs> we have a Canadian down the line. He'll be roaring for T-shirts. I'm off Folks. to record a disclaimer. <laughs> this was day 16. Tomorrow is day 17, and that might sound like the easiest part of my job, but it takes actually quite a amount of work. So tomorrow is day 17, and because I don't know who's. What playing, have we got on day 17, Rob? Oh, damn it. I'll tell you. I'll tell you because I've done the research. Argentina versus Brazil. Oh, oh, very special bet for that one. And West Germany versus Spain. Come on, it was worth. It was worth Russia. It was worth USSR uh, Belgium. That's the day, Colin, that you needed to make the argument for the groups of three. I'm feeling better already. I'm feeling better. I'm feeling better about the group. When you when you when you reel that off, like how can you not be excited about that? We're, by the way, we're going guest crazy every day coming forward uh, for the next four days. We have an amazing guest uh, until then. We'll talk to you tomorrow for day 17. Brazil are back. Adios. Just before we go, a little request from us to you. If you're enjoying the shows, please follow, like and rate them. 
We'd love to see your comments and feedback. And if you'd like to support what we're doing, you can always buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com forward slash Hispania82, where we've left a bonus episode for those who do. See you next time and thanks for listening.